You know, God is a God of grace, isn't he? I don't know what it is to say. Every time I talk to people in the services, they're like, uh. So, did, do you all not sleep well? God is a God of grace, isn't he? Amen. All right. And he's also a God who provides, doesn't he? And tonight, I, or this morning, I want to talk to you about my dirty socks. But they're not dirty because the reason you might think. I'll tell you why they're dirty. Uh, first, I want to tell you about another story. I want to tell you a story about Abraham. So if you have your Bibles or use the pew Bibles, it's not really hard. Just have to turn the book of Genesis. Open it up there. About chapter 12. Well, I'm going to pull a fast one on you. I'm actually going to start in the book of Acts by just giving us a little background for a guy named Stephen who was speaking to his enemies who were about to stone him because of his belief in Jesus. And he's kind of giving them a Bible lesson uh, as though they needed to hear it because they're supposed to be all experts in, in religion. But he wants them to see how, how Jesus was always, always God's intention. And he says in verse 2 of Acts chapter 7, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived, or before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him into this land where you are now living. So God speaks to this guy one day who was just kind of a farmer living in a place called Ur, uh, the Chaldees, modern-day Iraq. And God says, leave where you are and go to the land of Canaan, modern-day Israel, and I am going to bless you. And through you, the whole world is going to be blessed. I'm going to make a nation out of you, Abraham. And so Abraham picks up some of his cantaloupes, which included his father, Terah, and his nephew, Lot, and of course, his wife, and a bunch of other stuff. And he heads toward Canaan land, and he stops at a place called Haran, on the border of modern-day Turkey and Syria. Now, why does he stop there? Well, God told him to leave his household, to leave his country, leave everything familiar behind, and embrace the unfamiliar. And Abraham took along too many familiar things, like his father and his nephew. And evidently, Terah didn't want to go any further than Haran. And being a good son, an obedient son as Abraham would have been, he said, okay, then we'll camp out here until Terah died at the ripe old age of 205. How many of you can imagine living to be 205 years of age? All right, it'd be kind of scary, wouldn't it? All right. So his father dies, and God speaks to him again over in Genesis chapter 12. And God says, it's time for you to move on to get to where I have intended for you to go. And I just want to read what it says there as soon as I can get turned there. God speaks to him while he's living in Haran. And God says to him, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Man, the guy's got it made, doesn't he? I mean, God's going to do everything for him, in him, and through him. Blessings galore. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot. Now look at what it says. All the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out the land of Canaan. So, in other words, Abram is getting a lot more cantaloupes in his wagon, isn't he? And he's taking a lot more in there with him. Lots of 
uh, multiplied blessings in his life. And his nephew Lot's going with him, who's going to be a pain in the butt later on. But anyway, Lot's going with him into Canaan land. And Abraham shows, out, shows up, checks it out, likes what he sees. And then all of a sudden, there's a famine. What's a famine? It's like when there's no water, right? And things dry up, and now all of a sudden, his cantaloupes are threatened. How's he going to feed the animals? How is he going to feed his family? How are they going to survive? What's he going to do? And so he decides to go south to the ancient civilization of Egypt because he knows he'll find food and he'll find water there. But there's one big problem that Abraham discovers as he starts to make his way down to Egypt. Anybody know what that problem was? The problem was his wife, Sarah. What was wrong with his wife, Sarah? She was a major head turner. She was total babe. I mean, she was so good looking. She could have won Miss World Universe contest back in those days. She's 65 years old. She's not even middle aged yet because Abraham doesn't die until he's 175. They lived a long time back then. So she's still a young thing. And everybody, and Abraham's going, man, they are going to see you. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to tell old Pharaoh about you. Pharaoh's going to hear about you. He's going to find out I'm your husband. He's going to have me killed to make you a widow. And then he's going to bring you into his harem or his harem. And then it's just not good. So he said, I was wondering if you could do me a favor. Sarah, would you mind telling a little lie for me? Now, is there such thing as a little lie? No. Right? A lie is a lie is a lie. Is there such thing as a half-truth? No. Right? So watch what happens. Here goes Abraham, right? Pick it up in uh, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he's about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And she's blushing, you know, feeling really good about that. And then he says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister. Now, technically half-sister, but still not true. So that I will be treated well for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. In other words, Abram makes out, man, he has now got boatloads of cantaloupe. He's got it all. He's living the high life, right? And his poor wife is stuck in some harem with a bunch of foreign ladies, all right? And, and she's going to become, you know, Pharaoh's next concubine. So Abram has compromised God's plan to bless him and the world through him. And God has to intervene. And God inflicts Pharaoh and his household with these terrible diseases. Pharaoh figures it out. It has, it has to do around the time this woman showed up in my harem. And so he talks to her and he talks to Abram. He puts it all together and he says, What were you doing, Abram? Well, what do you mean to bring this all on me? Get out of town. And Abram leaves and he leaves with everything that he received as a future brother-in-law to Pharaoh. And he's going back home again. And I've often thought, how many of you are married? Let me see your hands. I've often thought what that conversation was like, huh? You know, you ever have, you ever have kind of this little thing between you and your spouse and on the way home, you know, things get said? I can imagine Sarah must have just looked at him and said, what were you thinking? You know, trying to screw up God's plan and put me in a situation like this? You think I enjoyed all that while you were out there eating cantaloupes coming out of your ears? 
And I don't know what Abram said. He probably just kept really quiet if he knew better, right? And they went back home. So he's finally home, and now he's in the land. He's got all these cantaloupe. His nephew Lot's with him. Lot has a whole bunch of cantaloupe, and his employees and Lot's employees can't get along. And Abram says, we need to go our separate ways. Choose where you want to go. Lot says, I'll go down by the Jordan Plain. It looks like the Garden of Eden. Man, it's lush. And Abram says, go. Go there. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. And he camps out on the plain near the city of Sodom, which the Bible tells us was a place where the men behaved very what? Wickedly and sinful. They're terrible people there in Sodom. Abraham embraces the rest of the land. God says it's yours. And Lot eventually becomes a city dweller, moves into Sodom. And while he's in Sodom, there's a king by the name of Ketelaramar who has four friends who are also kings that decide that they're going to go on a rape and pillage kind of mission and uh, conquer some various towns. And sure enough, they conquered Sodom. The king of Sodom fled and ran. And and Chedorlaomer and the other kings, they just took everything in Sodom with them, including the people, and they headed north. Somebody escaped and came to Abram and said, Abram, do you know what happened? Your nephew Lot has been kidnapped by this wicked king. And Abram goes out and he says, I need 318 of my bravest warriors. And so his bravest warriors step forward and they go in hot pursuit of Lot and they rescue Lot and they rescue all the stuff that's been taken and they come back. And I want you to watch what happens here after they come back. Let's pick it up, oh, in verse 17 of chapter 14. After Abram returned from defeating Ketelaramar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. So God always has his people, doesn't he? Well, just Abraham, there's also Melchizedek, who I believe was a very real person. In the New Testament, he's like an example of Jesus, but you can read that later in the book of Hebrews. He's a very real person. So Melchizedek comes out, and he brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed! Be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram give it, gave him a tenth of everything. First time we read about it, Abram looks at all the cantaloupes that he's brought back from his victory. And he says, because you're a priest of God and because you've blessed me, I want to honor God and give back a divine portion. He gives a portion back. First time we read about Abram doing that. And you sense that God's doing something in Abram's heart, that he's kind of getting it, that all these blessings are coming from God, and God deserves something back for all those blessings. And then we go over to chapter 16, and we have this um, uh, profound story, uh, chapter 15, we have this profound event that takes place in Abram's life. Listen to what it says. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. He says, I am your shield, your very great reward. Isn't that cool? Have God say that to you? You just have this vision at night, and God comes to you and says, don't be afraid. I am your shield. That means I'm going to what? Protect you. I am your very great reward. Can you think of a better reward than what God would bring? I can't. But Abram said, sovereign God, God who's over all things, who can do everything, what can you give me since I remain childless and have, uh, excuse me, I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, in essence, here's what's going on. Abram has all these cantaloupes, right? And he's blessed, and he knows he's blessed, and he appreciates having all the cantaloupes, right? But he says, God, I have all this. 
But I don't have that. I don't have a son. And you told me that I was going to be a father of nations. And that others would be blessed through me. But, but I don't have anybody. And, and everything I have, all my cantaloupe is going to go to my servant. So, you know, while I'm blessed in many ways, I'm thankful for it. I, I still, I have all this, but I still don't have that. I still don't have that. And I love what God does because God, God speaks to him in the passage of Scripture. And listen to what God says. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to him, verse 4. This man, this servant, will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Just think about that. Abram walks out and looks up in the night sky in the Middle East. No ambient light around. And I mean, it's, it's impossible to count them all. And God says, you're going to have a son going to come from your body. And the seed is going to come from your body. And, and it'll be more than the stars in the sky. And I love it. It just says Abraham believes. Abraham just looks up and says, cool, this is it. I believe it. It's going to happen. Awesome, isn't it? How many of you have ever had, like, a great experience with God? How many students here were here last night and, uh, or yesterday and uh, the night before? Did you have a great experience? Yeah. Kind of like a spiritual high? Right? How many of you made some kind of commitment? Let me see your hand. Cool. All right. So you did. Awesome, man. All right. And uh, for the rest of us, I mean, haven't you had experiences where you had your quiet time or you went to worship service, you're reading a book and God moved on your heart and, and you felt close to God? Anybody? All right. So make sure. All right. And then how many of you have turned around within 45 minutes or four hours or four days later and like totally screwed up again? Let me see your hands. Absolutely. Right. You can go, I mean, think of you going great in your life, and you're just like on fire for God, right? And then somebody cuts you off in traffic, your parents say something to you, they'd upset you, or, or you have an argument with a friend, or something goes wrong at work, and you cuss, or you have a bad thought, or you make a bad gesture, or whatever it is, and you just totally blow it, right? You totally blow it. Well, Abraham's no different than you and me. Man, he turns around and just totally blows this whole thing. And it talks about here in uh, chapter 16. He's talking to his wife, Sarah. It says, Sarah, Abram's wife, uh, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, uh, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. That doesn't mean take a nap. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Okay, so here's Sarah, and she's like getting older, and she's thinking, I have no kids. And uh, custom-wise, culture-wise, it was permissible for her to hand over her maidservant, give her to her husband. He would have sex with her, right? And, and create a child. And then in the ancient cultures, what would happen is when, when Hagar goes to give birth, she sits between Sarah's legs and she births the child in, in, as though it were Sarah's, right? So this is, like, this is like Sarah's answer to the whole thing. It reminds me so much of the Garden even. Uh, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve standing next to each other. Eve's at the tree. Certain, the serpent says, take the fruit. Eve takes the fruit, hands it to her husband, says, take it. He says nothing. He takes it. And you know the whole mess that was caused by there. Well, Abraham's right there, right? And Sarah makes a suggestion, take her, you know, have a child with her, and that will give us an heir. And you expect Abraham to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, woman, or honey. Okay? Let's just sit down for a minute. Give me your hand. 
And just imagine stroking her hand and saying, I, now I know this is tough on you. I know how badly we both want to have a child. But you know what? God spoke to me the other night, and we're going to have a child, but it's not going to be that way. It's going to be me and you, and we just need to keep trying and wait for when God just allows that whole thing to happen, okay? And I'm sure Sarah would have looked at her husband and said, okay. But what does Abraham do? What does he say? Nothing. He just goes, oh, okay. Right? And he takes her, and they have this child who becomes known as Ishmael, right? And just so you understand the, the humanity, I mean, this is one of the things that makes me realize the Bible is not this fantasy, because the good, the bad, and the ugly appear in Scripture. Watch this. So he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When, chapter 16, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And that is the way it goes, isn't it? You know? In essence, I think what Sarah was hoping was that her husband was saying, no, I won't do that. It's the wrong thing to do. But he did it, and then it really made her mad, didn't it? You need to listen to God. You need to listen to God. So she has a child, and... Uh, God speaks a few chapters later to Abram and says to Abram in chapter 17, he says, I know you've had a child with her. You didn't consult me about it. You went ahead and did your own thing. But I need to tell you, that's not how I'm going to bless you. I told you I would bless you this way. You tried to make it happen your way. And I'm sorry, but that's not where the seed is going to come. And God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you and Sarah a child. I'm going to open her womb up. I'm going to cause this miracle to happen. And Abram laughs. He says, I'm old, and my wife is old. And God says, that's not a problem for me. And sure enough, God's hand touches their bodies, and they conceive, and they have a child, and his name is who? Isaac. And it is through Isaac that God says, I will bless you, and I will bless the world. Well, Isaac's a little boy, and he starts to grow up, and one day God speaks to Abraham, and we all know the story so well, don't we? And Abraham says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go to Mount Moriah, which is modern day, the hill that Jerusalem is built on. And he says, sacrifice him to me. And you expect Abraham to kind of argue with God at that point. But Abraham just never seems to argue with anybody. And he decides to follow through on what God has said. And so he packs everything up, and he takes his son, and he heads out to, toward Mount Moriah. And they're walking along, and his, fa- and his son speaks to him. In verse 7, he says, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Well, you know the story. They got to the top of the mountain and Abraham creates the place where the altar, the sacrifice will take place. He grabs his son. He ropes his son in there. He pulls out the knife. He's ready to plunge. And some people think Abraham had the faith to believe that even if he did kill his son, that God would raise him him from the dead. I don't know. All I know, Abraham is ready to strike when God says, Stop! Abraham, stop! And listen to what God says to Abraham in this exchange. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And that's what I want you to remember. 
Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now I know, Abraham, and most importantly, you know that I matter more to you than the blessings that I have placed in your life. I now know and you know that you really love me, that you really respect me. And God gave him back his son, didn't he? You know, one day God would send his son to the cross on that very same mountain. And he would have his son crucified. And he would die for our sins. He would be buried so that we could be forgiven, so that we could experience the blessings that we now know as the followers of Jesus. You know, it's a wonderful and powerful lesson that's taught to you and me in that story about stewardship. And the lesson is this, that the blessings that God gives to us, the tangible and intangible blessings that God gives to us are never ours, are they? Who do they belong to? God. And I just want to address our students for a minute because they live in such a greedy, selfish world. You know, the blessings that you gain in your life, whatever those might be as you guys grow older, you know what? Those blessings, remember this, those blessings don't belong to you. Don't get your hands on them real tight like so many of us as adults do. Understand, those blessings have come to you from God and they still belong to God and he can ask for them back anytime he wants, right? Because they're not ours. So God is the provider, we're the receiver, but we're not the owners, are we? Ultimately, we have to give, and it shouldn't be a have to, we should want to give them back because God envisions a relationship where he blesses, we receive, we give back. He blesses, we receive, we give back. He blesses more, we receive more, we give back more. He blesses more and more, we receive more and more, we give back more and more. And that's how he intends it to be. And it's a wonderful relationship where we recognize him as a provider and we are the receivers. What on earth does that have to do with dirty socks? I'm going to tell you. Um, these really are not dirty socks. And what I mean by that is they're, they're, actually, they're actually pretty clean. Yep. And uh, they've been washed. And what made them dirty uh, were not my feet, all right? Um, but what made them dirty was something else I put in them. See, this Dutch boy uh, went and put a stash of cash in these socks and hid it away. All right? And I'm talking about a fairly substantial stash of cash, over $1,000, that I had worked hard at saving and putting away for a special occasion that I was kind of saving up for, to do some fun things with my family and, you know, stuff like that, all right? But I also want you to know that this was not dirty money. I tithed on everything that went in these socks, okay? So this was legal, Okay? Don't want you to think, you know, after what I've been preaching, it was illegal. Everything that went in these socks, God, God got, you know, his cantaloupes out of it, right? So, like, you know, I gave God his cut, and this was now my cut in, in, my, in my socks. So, I had it stashed away in, in my secret little place, unbeknownst to everybody, and um, just so I could have this little surprise. And I went for a run one day, and I was talking to God, and I was having a really great prayer time with God. And I was going through my life and surrendering everything to the Lord. Surrendered Marsha, my wife, and surrendering my children, my soon-to-be-born uh, granddaughter who could come at any time. I may have to leave any moment. Um, I was surrendering our home, surrendering the dog, surrendering the car. I mean, I just like inside out, ooh, everything there. 
And no pride, but I was feeling good about it. I was just feeling really, in a good way, kind of empty, right? And that's when God ambushed me. Any of you ever been ambushed by God? You know, like you think everything's fine, and all of a sudden you get the tap on the shoulder. I heard no voices. I saw no vision. But I had a definite conversation with God in my head. Because you know what God did? I said, there, God, everything surrendered to you. And God took his finger and went into my sock drawer and said, that's not. And I said, wait a minute, God. Remember, I've given you a tithe off of that. That's mine. And God's like, man, you are so Dutch. It is not yours. It is mine. I said, but God, I'm in legal with the whole thing. It's yours. God said, no, it's, it's mine. I said, God, I give you my wife and my kids. What more do you want? Okay. Uh, God's like, I want what's in the sock. And I, I'm humble and embarrassed to tell you that I had one of the worst afternoons in my life. I went home arguing with God, hanging on to my sock of money. And I'm like, God, you can take my wife, you can take my kids, you can take the dog, but please do not take what's in this sock. It was ridiculous. It was a moment of insanity in my life. I'm hanging on to a little over a thousand dollars because I don't want God to take it from me. I mean, is that ridiculous or what? I think it is. It's stupid. I just go back. How, what was wrong with me? Temporary insanity. You know, I'm not going to give it up. I, and then I, then I start the whole thing with, well, this isn't real, God. I mean, and, oh, yeah, okay, this is just a guilt complex, right? I'm dealing with guilt from my past as a child being born in a legalistic home environment. It's just, my, it's, just my, it's just false guilt that's eating away at me. Certainly, God, you're not asking me for this. And I, and I felt even more miserable. I'm like, God, you really want it, don't you? And God says, yes, give it over. And I'm like, oh, I hate to give it up. And then all of a sudden I thought, I just thought, I had this vision. I was laying on my bed, not, now, not a real vision, just but in my mind. I had this vision of me laying there like this, and God has the other end of it. And I'm going, no, no, don't take it from me. And when God gave me that picture, I just, that was it for me. I couldn't handle it anymore. I thought, God, just never thought I was so greedy and so selfish. Here's the God of the universe who owns all the cantaloupes on a thousand hills, right? He owns it all, and I'm sitting there thinking that if I lose my thousand plus dollars, that he's not capable of of blessing me in any other way. And I did what every good addict does, man. I went, and I pulled my socks apart, and I grabbed that wad of cash. I smelled it first. No, I was kidding. All right, I grabbed that wad of cash, and I gave it to my wife. And I said, take this from me and go put it in the bank. I said, I don't want to hang on to this stuff. This is not mine. And, and, I had, and I had to work through my attitude about it. And finally I decided, you know what, this is so ridiculous, God. I, I, you don't want it if that's my attitude. So God, I bring it to you. And God, I want you to take it and I want you to bless somebody with it. And then I just felt God speaking to me saying, okay, I want to bless somebody with it, but I want you to be a part of the blessing experience. So here's what happened. I counted out the money and I said, okay, I'm going to give this to someone who has needs or several who have needs. And I thought about a couple that I just, I just dearly love who are serving Christ full time that don't have a whole lot. And so I wrote them, I wrote them a check. 
It was fun. And I was able to write them a note and said, this is from God, be blessed. And then, and I was starting to get really happy, okay? And I'm on this trip helping some pastors out, and I meet this guy who uh, left his job to do uh, missionary ministry. And he's telling me about his son and his daughter. And his son and daughter are going through a rough time. Make a long story short, they have a baby born with half a heart. And it's, it's uh, not the first time this has happened. And they're able to do a heart transplant, a miracle in itself. But it's hard. The, the child's having a hard time receiving that heart, you know, the rejection that takes place. And they are running up bills, and they are struggling. And he has to make a trip somewhere for help. And I happen to have a check in my wallet, which I normally don't. And I pull it out, and I enjoyed. I absolutely enjoyed writing a check. Man, I enjoyed handing it to him. And I just said, brother, and I told him my story. So he wouldn't think it was because I'm such a generous person. And I said, this is from God. This is for you. And then just recently, I was able to give some money to help somebody else. And you know what I realized as I was doing that? I was realizing the joy of what it is to sacrifice and, and give, our, give our best to God. Because when we do that, God takes it. See all those seeds in there? God takes it and he multiplies blessings back. Not just into our lives, but into the lives of others. And I wouldn't trade that for a minute. I wouldn't trade that for a minute. To ask you a question this morning, what's in your sock? What is it that you've got stashed away from God? It doesn't have to be money. It could be your career, your dreams about the future, what you're going to be when you grow up. It could be your children or your grandchildren. It could be your home or your car. What is it in your life that you don't want God to touch? Because whatever it is, I'm telling you right now, it's keeping you. It's keeping you from his blessings. It's keeping you from going deeper with him because you're not fully surrendered. Would you be willing to pray the prayer that says, God, are there any dirty socks in my life? If God were to point out what it is, would you be willing to give him or her or it or that to God and say it's yours? He may give it right back to you. He may give it right back to you. Or he may take it and he may multiply it and bless others. But I know what, if God, if you can trust God with your socks, I know, it's going to sound really trite, I know God is going to bless your socks off. I know that if you bless God that way, I know that in the days to come, he's going to hand you more to be responsible with. But God's saying, I want you to trust me as your provider. I'll give you my best, but I need you to give it back. And I'll just keep you on this relationship loop with me. You know, when I heard Dutton sing this song last night, that he's about to sing, that they're about to sing now, it really touched my heart. It's about how God is after all of us. God is after all of me. God is after all of you. And if you want all of him, you have to be willing to sacrifice everything. Fathers, we hear this song to think about what it means. I pray that you would point out in our lives anything that we're keeping from you. Because God, we want to experience the fullness of your blessing by being faithful with the blessings that you send our way. In Jesus' name, amen.